Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is Psalm 64. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers, who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. For the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrows at them, They are wounded. Suddenly, they are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in Yahweh and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. This is the word of the Lord. Right out of the opening here, Family conversation question, can we take our complaints to God? The answer to that is yes, as we see King David do it right here. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Things aren't well. So David lifts up his voice in prayer. I haven't seen it in the Psalms yet. So we might make a distinction still about shouting anger at God, but a complaint, a complaint we can do. Things don't seem to be working. I'm struggling. Things are falling apart all around me. Lord, help me. Those kinds of things. So what's David's complaint about? It's about evil. It's about the evil that he sees all around him and that in the moment it does seem to succeed. In the moment. So in verse 1, he first prays that God would preserve his life from dread of the enemy. Have you ever been afraid of something? To the point where it impacts what you do, how you live, how you think. Fear is a powerful thing. We're not supposed to fear anything as Christians other than God himself, which would also motivate what we do and how we live. David here prays that God would protect him from fearing his enemies. Do not allow that to impact David, but let him stay firm, firm in his faith. 
Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. So recognizing that evil people will do evil things and that they will target and seek to harm those who are faithful, David prays for protection. In this way, hiding him, which would mean that the wicked don't even see him. If the wicked don't see him, uh, they won't be plotting against him. They wet their tongues like swords. If you're just listening to the audio here and you haven't read the text, that's wet with an H, W-H-E-T, like a wet stone that you would use to sharpen a blade. So they use, well, they don't literally use a stone to sharpen their tongues, but they are sharpening their tongues. That is, they're taking the tongue, which can already do damage, and they're making it worse. Instead of training their hearts and their minds to learn how to use the tongue to build up their neighbor, they're learning only the further how to harm their neighbor. They hone their skills in insults and lies. They figure out new ways to offend. New attacks to come up with. Instead of learning a vocabulary that rejoices, they learn a vocabulary that destroys. And I want to point out that in American culture, and even for the Christian today, in that culture, this is where we are. What you put into yourself is what can then come out of you. So if we spend our time watching TV and social media streams, all these kinds of things, the shows that we watch, the movies we watch, the influencers that we watch, they are going to color our language. I mean, have you ever noticed that? That you had a new person come into your life and you spent some time with them and maybe some of their mannerisms started to rub off on you? Or some of their phrases that they use started to become phrases that you used? This is how we work as people, as a community. And so when we welcome into our community outsiders who don't have any desire to see Christ promoted in this world, we're filling our, our language, we're filling our mind with things that do not build up, but things that tear down. And I think looking around in culture, that should be really easy to see. The flip side is, fill yourself with God's word. And then what comes out of you? God's word. This in part, at least I think, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in Matthew chapter ten nineteen, As he's warning them that persecution will come upon them, he says, when they deliver you over, so even when family or a friend delivers you into the hand of a, a governor to be put in prison and face trial for your faith. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I contend. If we are filled with the word of God, which the Spirit is the one who gives it to us, then it's the word of God that will come out of us. When we see the apostles 
in various places under fire for their faith, that's how they respond. They respond with Scripture in most of those spots, not all of them. But when we see Jesus tempted in the wilderness by the devil, it's how he responds. He responds with God's word. May the Spirit so do for us. May he fill us with himself. May he fill us with his word that we are not wetting our tongues like swords that devour, but that we are wetting our tongues with the sword that is his word in order to, to build up one another, but also to cut through the evil around us with the mercy of God, the good news that there is forgiveness for that evil in Christ alone. So they aim bitter words like arrows, another picture here of, of violence, of war, of the damage that can be done. They shoot them from ambush at the blameless. There's no one truly blameless other than Christ himself. So this is a, a reference to be taken a, a little more lightly here from David. Those who have not, in that situation, deserved, earned that reward. So you walk out your front door this afternoon, you go across the street to help a neighbor, and they shoot you. That kind of a thing. You you didn't earn that from them. Doesn't necessarily mean that you're a perfect person. But evil hits you when evil was not expected. They shoot at the the neighbor, the enemy, for them. The good is the enemy. Suddenly, and without fear. For fear would stop them from acting. Just like in the Gospels, fear stops the Pharisees and the chief priests from going against Jesus. They wanted to for a long time. They were plotting to put him to death much earlier than Good Friday. But they were afraid. They were afraid of the crowds, and so they didn't act. But here, these evil ones, they will act without fear. And we do see that in the world. There is some fear, truly. But there are some who, just with reckless abandon, destroy whatever they want. Holding fast to their evil purpose, talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them. Evil certainly plots this way, doesn't it? All lie, nobody will know the difference. thinking that they can get away with their evil. And they search out injustice, saying we have accomplished a diligent search. And notice then where David says that they searched. The inward mind and heart of man are deep. They search themselves. They search through their own wicked desires. Genesis 6, that the thoughts... The intentions of the thoughts of the hearts of man are nothing but evil continually. When you reach your hand into a pile of muck, what you're going to come out with is muck. They reached into the filth of their own heart, and out came filth. Verse 7 turns the hymn, however. God shoots his arrow at them. And they are wounded suddenly. 
On the surface, this is a reference to God's judgment, that the Lord does not withstand evil forever. His patience does not endure forever with evil, with sin, but eventually he judges. There's also an interesting connection, though, back to the flood. Most people, I don't think, recognize in the flood narrative, the account there, that when God, after the flood is over, promises to Noah that he will not flood the earth again in the same way, we are told that God hangs his bow in the sky. That is the Hebrew word for a bow. Not a rainbow, but a bow, a weapon. The imagery that God uses, and yes, it is a rainbow, right, as we see it, but the imagery God uses is that of a hunter returning from, from his hunt or a warrior returning from the battle. He comes into his home and he hangs up his bow. So God has hung his weapon of war in the sky as a reminder to us, a promise to us, that he would not do that again. And every time we see that bow, we can rejoice. And there's kind of the neat thought about the bow the rainbow being a bow, when you see it, what direction is it pointing? If there was an arrow in it, where would it fly? Well, it would fly towards heaven. And we think of Jesus having then come down after that from heaven to deliver us. And that arrow pierced him. God's judgment pierced him for us, for our sins. Kind of a really fun picture to talk about with the, the bow. But God hung up his bow. And here, we are reminded that God's judgment is not forever removed. He will take up his bow. He will bring judgment. So this is a family conversation point. Do evildoers get to keep doing evil forever? And the answer to that is no. That the Lord in his own timing will bring about judgment on them. Every day he gives them is an opportunity for them to repent. And... On the other side, and harder for us to, to accept, I think, in the 21st century Christian mindset, every day he gives the evil person is also a day for the Christian's faith to be refined. As evildoers do us evil, as they turn against us, as they wrong us, as they persecute us, as they cause us to suffer, our faith is being refined, tested, purified, made stronger. Check out Romans 5, the first paragraph. Check out the, no, the entire epistle of 1 Peter. They are brought to ruin. Their own tongues turned against them. So the, the evil that they sought to bring undoes them. God brings judgment against their sins. All who see them will wag their heads. We don't do a lot of the head-wagging thing. That was a pretty common mark of shame in the Old Testament, that if somebody walked by a ruined city, they would, they would wag their head and then they would hiss at it. We would find that quite odd today if somebody did that, but it's the physical embodiment of you walk by a decrepit, torn-down property and the thoughts that go through your head of what a shame that is, what a waste that is. Now that's what these people are doing. They just, 
they're more visual in it than we are at this moment at least we're a little bit more stoically trained in that regard all mankind fears they tell what god has brought about and ponder what he has done god's judgment serves this very purpose when god brings about his small judgment so not the end day last day global spanning judgment when he brings out a a smaller judgment in the moment any moment in history it has this function let me show it to you from two different places here from jeremiah chapter 33 and you'll see examples like this not uncommonly in the old testament This is a bit more of a future one. It's a prophecy of God restoring Jerusalem after the people have been driven out. 33.9 This city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. That language can be seen in the Exodus account, for example. The idea that as God works his miracles on behalf of his people, as he destroys the enemy for his people, that other nations will see it in fear. They have the opportunity to repent and to acknowledge that God is God and that he is strong, but also that he provides for his people. And then, in theory, they could seek to become God's people. The other one that I want to share with you is from Deuteronomy chapter 19, which pretty much says this straight out. So here's Deuteronomy chapter 19. The very end section of that chapter talks about witnesses. What do you do with a false witness? The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, Then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. So God's judgment is meant to limit evil. God's judgment is meant to bring about repentance and fear that we would not want to go on sinning so that we would not face the punishment and the consequence for that sin. The law does have a purpose. Yes, we thank God for the gospel. We thank him for it every day that our sins have been forgiven because we do go on sinning. And yet he has been gracious and merciful to us and he has forgiven that sin in the blood of Christ his Son all of our sins already. But hopefully those verses help give you a bit of a picture to think about with verse 9 here. Finally, verse 10, let the righteous one rejoice in Yahweh. The righteous one, as we learn from Romans, is the person who has faith. No one is right with God, no, not one. We've even seen that in the Psalms a couple of times already. The righteous one is the one who has faith. So, O you faithful, raise the strain. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, re, to do again, joyce, joy, take joy again in God. We can do that always.
I think it was just a couple days ago I mentioned 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's the idea. In verse 16, we are told to rejoice always. It is our, our standard position is to be rejoicing in God. Take refuge in him. Very common psalm language. God is my fortress, my refuge, my strength, my shield. Let him care for you. Entrust yourself to him. That's Ephesians 5. The wife submits to her husband as the church submits to Christ. That's what that means. I entrust myself to another's care. The wife entrusts herself to her husband that he will care for her, provide for her, protect her. The church submits itself to Christ, entrusts itself to Christ, that he will care for us, he will provide for us, and he does. Let all the upright in heart exult. Exult just means to rejoice greatly, so a bit of repetition to close out the hymn. Let's keep singing. Let's keep singing. Thanks be to God.